Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ with minister Chris Palmer. Bernie Church of Christ meets for worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can find Bernie Church of Christ at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. Now, with today's message, here's minister Chris Palmer. If you have your Bibles, go over to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. John 20. 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. When I was a kid growing up, my dad used to go on all sorts of business trips to faraway places. He's retired now, but but his career had been, uh, he was an oil field engineer. He did all sorts of big offshore projects. And I fondly remember sitting at the kitchen table at dinner, and he'd take out his napkin, and he'd do these little doodles to kind of show me the project that he was working on. And in the simplest terms that I could understand, he would explain to me how his project worked. And he'd go away on these work trips. And I remember sometimes that we would bring him to the airport for his flight, me and my mom and my sister. And it was a different time for air travel back then. You could bring your friends and family right up to the gate as they got onto their plane to fly away. And you got to keep your shoes on the whole time that you were at the airport. It was a magical age. (laughs) You could sit at the terminal and watch as your loved one's planes took off or landed. My dad was always going somewhere that seemed so cool, so amazing, so exotic. I tried to remember the best I could all the different places that he traveled for work. Norway and Australia, South Korea, Angola, Nigeria, Spain, Italy, France, Scotland, the Middle East, and Houston. It seemed like there was so much Houston, you know, but I look back and whether it was Australia or Houston for a little kid, it was, it it seemed like it was on the other side of the planet. And of course, back then it was before FaceTime and cell phones. So getting a call from him, if he was all the way in Africa was a really big deal. I remember before he would leave, he would entrust me with the title and the responsibility of man of the house. He'd say, while I'm gone, you're man of the house. Now, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but it seemed really important and it seemed really special. But as it turns out, whether you are man of the house or not, mom is always the boss. So that's, that's the way that works. 
So there I was, little man of the house, dropping off my dad at his gate at New Orleans International, and halfway down the jetway, he would turn around, smile, and wave. He still does this every time he says goodbye. And then disappearing down the hall, he'd get on the 737, and he was gone. Paris, Sydney, Houston, it didn't matter. As a little kid, it was the other side of the planet, and I'd miss him. As a little kid, that's hard when your parents aren't with you. It wasn't until I was a dad myself that I realized that he missed me back just as much. And while I was sad about his going, and he hated to leave, and we missed each other terribly while we were apart, all of that went away when he would return home. When he landed, there we were waiting at the gate, and there were business women and men pouring out of the plane, kids and families and grandmas, a whole crowd of people clogging the jetway. And I was anxiously dodging and ducking and searching through the crowd, trying to find my dad. I remember nervously asking that question, did he make it? Did he miss his flight? Is today really the day that he's coming home? And then boom, there he was. We would lock eyes. We would see each other. And just as he had smiled and waved at his departure, he would smile and wave at his arrival. And then there was this informal changing of the guard as he resumed his post as man of the house. And I would always ask him, did you bring me something? I still have so many, maybe all, of the treasures that he brought back from those faraway places, like Houston. (laughs) But you know, whether he brought back anything or not really didn't matter. All that mattered was that dad was home Now, maybe you've experienced something similar. It's that moment when you finally get to hold and see your child that you've waited for for nine long months, where you finally see her as she is walking down the aisle towards you. It's that day when your college student returns from their first semester away, or your soldier comes home from their tour of duty, or your first Sunday morning back worshiping with the church in person, saying goodbye hurts. The waiting is hard, but when you see them again and you are reunited, it is so sweet and it is so pure and full of joy. Many times in his ministry, Jesus warned his, Jesus warned his followers of his departure. Jesus, as a master of Scripture, knew texts like Isaiah 53 that read, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Jesus knew those words, and he knew that those words were about him. But he also knew words like Psalm 1610. He says, uh, the psalmist writes, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. He knew this text. He knew that this text proclaimed that death would not be the end of the Messiah. 
And he knew that those words were about him too. So he warns his disciples many times. Maybe he warns them so that they would not be disheartened and doubt and abandon the cause. Maybe he warns them so that they would not be crushed with grief. Maybe his ability to predict the future would be yet another sign of his divinity to his disciples. Maybe he was planting a seed in them, a seed that was involved his death but wasn't really about his death. Uh, Maybe he warns them for all of those reasons or something else. But you know, they weren't quite ready to understand it yet. They would later, but not yet. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, that takes a lot of guts to rebuke Jesus. But that's who Peter was. That's the kind of man he was. Peter was a man with a lot of guts. This is, after all, the same person who just a few verses above boldly confesses that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah, the anointed one, even though there were a variety of popular theories circulating about Jesus's deeper identity. Peter was bold then, and he's bold here again as he is rebuking Jesus. Well, Jesus responds, verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. This is probably not how Peter saw this playing out in his mind. Why such a strong and humbling comeback from Jesus? Now, perhaps the proper question is, well, why did Peter rebuke Jesus in the first place? You're listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. The Bernie Church of Christ is located at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ for online or in-person worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Now, with the rest of today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. We don't know exactly what Jesus or what Peter said or how he said it, but judging by Jesus' response, Peter's comments focused on this world and this life rather than the kingdom and purpose and will of God. But I got to wonder, if I were in Peter's same shoes, would I have done things any differently? The way Mark paints this scene, Peter had just confidently and faithfully declared that this Jesus of Nazareth was no ordinary guy. He was the Christ. And then in the very next breath, Jesus tells him that he's going away, that he must be persecuted, rejected, and killed. And even though he does say on the third day he would rise again, I don't know about you, but when I hear awful news, usually my ears turn off, my logic turns off, and my imagination starts to run wild. So Peter is committed. He is attached to his rabbi, to his teacher, his mentor, and his friend. He has left everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is here in front of him saying, I'm going to die. And that must have been deeply confusing and scary for Peter and the other disciples. 
Now, Peter has seen Jesus do many miraculous things, but rising from the dead, that takes it to a whole new level. Peter cannot yet comprehend that death is not the end for Jesus. His mind is set on things of man, not on things of God. Well, later in his ministry, closer to the end than the beginning, Jesus issues another blended prophecy, equal parts scary and hopeful. John 16, 16, Jesus says this, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now, his disciples don't understand this. So Jesus goes on a few verses down to explain further. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she delivered, has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. <clears throat> Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I underline that verse, verse 22 in my Bible. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So many times I need to hear those words from Jesus in my life. This promise that sorrow is brief, but joy is eternal. But how can that be promised? How can Jesus promise that? How can that possibly be true? Maybe you are in the middle of a personal crisis right now, or maybe you can remember a recent one, and you know how hard it is to peacefully meditate on these words when your world is falling down around you. But I want to focus in on two phrases from this section in John 16. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus says, you will see me. And then he completes it and says, and I will see you. Jesus' death on the cross is unquestionably and monumentally significant. His incredible sacrifice erases all of the debt of sin from each and every one of our lives. You and me, before we've done a single good thing with our lives, Jesus decided to exchange his life for ours As Timothy Keller puts it, this was the only way that God could be both completely merciful and also completely just. But that's only part of the picture. Jesus' death, while beautiful and tragic and necessary, still leaves a hole in humanity's need for God, unless he is also resurrected. We have all anxiously awaited, uh, long-anticipated reunions. 
weddings, births, homecomings, long travels, coming back to church, and so on. That separation is hard. That time apart is painful. Why? Because we love people. We love to be with one another. We are created as communal and relational beings. We began by reading from John chapter 20, where Mary Magdalene is weeping at the empty tomb of Jesus. She believes that insult has been added to her injury. Not only has her Lord been killed, but now he is deprived of a proper burial, as someone must have desecrated his grave and stolen his body. After all that Jesus has given to Mary, the last thing that she could give to him is just tending to his body as it's laid to rest. But she can't because there is no body. And she sees Jesus, it says, but mistakes him for the gardener, even suspects that maybe he's involved in this grave robbing scheme. But none of it clicks for her. She she doesn't get it until she realizes that the gardener knows her name, until it is revealed that he sees her. John chapter 20, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to, uh, say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene <clears throat> went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that, uh, and that he had said these things to her. It's when Mary hears her name that her eyes are opened, and that's when their reunion is sealed. And even though she cannot cling to him, and he would depart again because she knows that she has seen Jesus and he has seen her back, that her sorrow is turned to joy and a joy that cannot be taken from her. She goes back to the disciples and announces, I have seen the Lord. And not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every day, those of us who believe in the risen Christ make the same announcement with our lives that we have seen the Lord, that we have seen the one who sees us back. And because of that, we have a joy that cannot be taken away from us. It cannot be taken from us when relationships break, when health fails, when we lose jobs, when loved ones pass, when storms blow, and when the ground gives way beneath us. We do not lose our joy because we have seen the Lord, the one whose life was given on the cross, and he returned to it three days later. And he is the one who says he'll come back again. And we know that he will because he's done it before. And we are convicted of these truths, and they guide our whole lives. These truths set our minds on things of God and not on the things of man. Excuse me. When I think about what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means to me, it assures me that God wants to be with me and wants me to be with him. It's Christ's return to life. 
His overcoming of the resurrection, suffering, and death that gives me absolute confidence that God sees us, loves us, and chooses us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants community with us. God wants family with us. He is not some abstract God who sits on a cloud high above the earth, distant and detached, but one who is near and personal, one who sees me and you. May we see the God who sees us. May we know that the tomb is still empty and that death has lost its sting. May we know that Christ has already won the victory over sin and darkness. And because of that, all of the troubles of this life that seem so important and so permanent aren't. Christians have this enduring hope and faith because we know that he will return again one day. And when he does, we're going to see each other. And that will make all things right. And that will make all things new. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, please visit BernieChurchOfChrist.org or call 830-249-2685. That is 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Bernie Church of Christ.